So we know that consumers want to shop and buy from brands that make the entire shopping journey easy and seamless. That includes when things go wrong, when they need to change or resolve an issue with their order or to make a return. And here, automation technology can really help to streamline those experiences. Businesses can address those issues in a timely and efficient way. And what that does is it improves the overall experience. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. We've been hearing a lot about uncertainty, economic uncertainty, uncertainty around consumer behaviors and expectations, but most of all, how that uncertainty impacts how we shop and what we buy and which brands we buy from. However, research from Square indicates that despite all of this noise in the market, businesses are overall optimistic about where their organization is today and what the future will hold. According to Roshan Junja of Square, a lot of that connects to the new opportunities that exist through collaboration, through services, and of course, through technology. For today's episode, we're digging into some of the latest research from the company, both business research as well as consumer research, because together they paint a very detailed picture around the new ideas and the new opportunities that exist for brands of all sizes and across all categories as they aim to reach and resonate with their consumers. I know, especially as we get into the hot and heavy holiday planning time, this conversation will cover a lot of great ideas for you to consider and apply. Roshan, thanks so much for joining me on the show. It is so great to have you on the line now. Thank you for having me, Alicia. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and honestly, we have a lot to dig into because the team at Square has been doing a lot of research. We're going to dig into some of the data points, some of the findings, and even a few expectations and predictions. So the year kind of started out with a bang, Square's third annual Future of Commerce report. And I want to start there because even though the the data has been around for a few months, I think it sets a really nice foundation for our conversation because a lot of the findings and insights revolved around the unknowns and the uncertainties around things like a looming recession, shifts in spending, basically everything we've been talking about for the last few months. And what I found most interesting is that generally businesses were optimistic about where things stood despite all of the wariness, so to speak. So Let's get right to it. I mean, can you outline the sources or the reasons for this optimism? And is that still in play right now? Yeah, I think it is. And let me start just by stating that what I'm always impressed by with uh, business owners of all shapes and sizes is simply how resilient they are and how optimistic they can be in terms of figuring out how to turn whatever hand they're dealt into something that they can build off of. So to catch us up to present, I think what's happening is that we've had a few tumultuous years recovering from the impacts of pandemic. And now we have retailers finally seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. They're feeling a stronger sense of uh, promise and rejuvenation and potential to grow. 
and opportunities to connect with new and existing customers. So in the meantime, the commerce scene in general has exploded. A lot of folks that were forced to shift into online and digital channels during pandemic has really led to this number of new channels bubbling up because of that strong consumer desire. And in some cases, the requirement to shop on places like mobile and text. And so what we know is that currently retailers are selling goods on average on four different channels. And we know that the majority of them, 81% of retailers, in fact, are planning to expand that number that they sell on. So personally, I think there's never been a more exciting time for businesses to experiment with these new channels and figure out where they want to be and where they want to sell. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to get into some of the consumer perceptions around those opportunities and what they're actually experiencing, right? Because I I think it's always interesting to show both sides of the coin, so to speak. But just so the audience has the full context and the full understanding of the the approach to Square's research. So how would you define your audience or the folks that are participating in this research? Is it smaller retailers? Is it restaurants? Is it a mix of all of them? I I feel like having that, that context always helps people understand the implications or the trends surrounding the data itself. Yeah, that's a great question. And the data that we're describing and drawing from today is from this Future of Commerce report. It's an annual report that Square produces. We partner with Wakefield Research, and we're surveying North American consumers as well as retail and restaurant owners to uncover insights about the commerce landscape. So we have the Square Consumer Survey conducted by Wakefield that was 2,000 nationally representative U.S. and Canadian adults over the age of 18. So that's the consumer side. And then we have the Square Retail Survey that Wakefield conducted. And there we looked at 500 retail owners and managers in the U.S., as well as 500 retail owners and managers in Canada. So again, we're trying to gain a large representative sample so we can really put our finger on the pulse of what's happening. Yeah, that's great. It allows us to fully understand where the true opportunities are, of course, for the industry more holistically, but it also helps understand what trends are really making an impact, right? I feel like sometimes like even those smaller sample research surveys can uncover some interesting perspectives and insights into like how different companies are thinking about trends. I think the broader the sample size, the better to really identify what's what's really happening at a macro level, so to speak. And going back to your point around the resilience and the power to adapt, I would love to kind of dig into where that evolution or where that adaptation is kind of happening from a business perspective. So you mentioned the the selling across different channels and different touch points, which seems to be a general reality regardless of a company or brand size. But what about like in way of actual products and services? Like there were some interesting points around diversification. So I'm I would love for you to share any examples of what that entails, what the data really uncovered from that perspective, because I feel like that's that's an interesting area that sometimes comes up periodically in our coverage, but I feel like there are a lot of untapped opportunities sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you raise, Alicia. The first point you made about, in general, how folks are responding to uncertainty, we know for sure that there's a lot of desire to grow and expand what retailers are offering. So as an example, there's 41% wanted to add more unique and one-of-a-kind products and offerings. 37% of retailers want to improve their customer relationships through faster and easier communication channels. And 35% wanted to offer a strong in-store shopping experience. So this is 
really dialing in the channels that they're on today and making them work more efficiently. But in terms of diversification, this is a really great point. You know, what are the new ways that small businesses and large businesses alike are finding ways to connect? I think what we've witnessed is the rise of what we call these multi-hyphenate businesses. So picture the retailer that is also offering coffee or a salon that is selling some of the products they use in their services. So the phenomenon here is this multi-hyphenate business is expanding revenue streams by offering new products and services. And so in our restaurant area, we found that there's immense success using this strategy. An average of 21% of restaurant revenue is now coming from products and services is what we found, which to me, I mean, that's just staggering, right? That's now over a fifth of the business is coming in that way. There are also some clear parallels between that restaurant stat and retail. We know that many merchants are seeking more ways to offer unique experiences, especially to entice buyers to come into stores. So last holiday, the Square data indicated that baristas, servers, bartenders were being hired at eight times the rate of traditional employees. And so those types of opportunities opportunities really do indicate that there's a lot of diversification at work. That's coffee inside the retail store. That's potentially wine tasting in your wine shop. And so I would say for those folks looking for how to get there and ways to think about diversification, really what this comes down to is there's probably things that naturally fit into the current operating model and focus. So for example, we know that there's a square seller in Kansas City. They're the Laya Center. This is a wellness spot. And what they've done is open up a wellness tea and coffee bar so consumers can enjoy that as an add-on to the services. And they also retail in-house wellness supplements. So here's an example of a seller that's really branched out and in a very complementary way to their core theme, have started to offer a lot of complementary things. Yeah, I really love this example, this whole notion of diversification through services, because I feel like there are so many big names we cover that do that very well. So of course you think of like the Lululemons of the world that are always spotlighted for their efforts of community-driven events and classes. But it seems to me, at least, you know, based on that example you just shared, like the path or the entry point to diversification seems to be relatively low or the barrier to entry is relatively low, right? Like it's just a matter of thinking creatively or considering like possible partnerships. Like, I guess my question for you is how can or how should the brand executives listening to this right now be thinking about this diversification process? Is it about like finding the closest entry points or adjacencies? Like, how should they best make moves into diversification? Yeah, I think one of the things that I always love about uh, businesses, especially the brick and mortar businesses in major towns and cities, there's a tremendous sense of community. In a lot of ways, they anchor a sense of centrality and community. And really what you have there is a knowledge of the other complementary sellers. I could bring up an example of a lot of coffee shops. I spend a lot of time in the Hudson Valley in New York. And here we have a lot of coffee shops that are making use of the space, which by the way, is one of their largest fixed costs. But making that space work for them in times where there might not be a lot of traffic looking for coffee, by having local bands come in and highlighting you know, the local music scene, maybe by selling albums, maybe by having other local sellers come in and feature pastries in the pastry case. And so really, I think what you find is if you think about the folks that are coming in, your existing customers, you start to understand what it is that they value in the community or in adjacent products and services. The bar really is low. I think a lot of it just comes down to 
the community, the aesthetic that you're trying to cultivate. The ideas are definitely out there. And, and a lot of it is just what's around you and what can you make use of? Yeah. And I could imagine it's a fun way, especially the smaller, more close-knit communities and, you know, the smaller businesses. It's just a matter of getting creative, right? Rolling up your sleeves and saying, hey, like, let's find a way to build something better together, so to speak, and just kind of letting that creativity shine through. We talked a little bit about products and services and how that's a source of diversification. But I do want to dig into that point about experiences, right? And how technology can be used to better meet the diverse communication and experience needs of consumers? Because I feel like there are so many opportunities there as well. Like, what has the data been telling you guys? Yeah. So the data tells us that shoppers themselves are certainly evidencing demand for more unique experiences. This is something they want to see more of. And that means there's a ton of opportunities for experimentation there. So this includes visual and interactive components with the intent to drive social media, right? Social media platforms these days are very visual. And so a lot of high quality imagery and featuring the products and services that really are emblematic of your brand, I think is a great way to encourage consumers to ultimately come and shop in the store and create a new revenue stream. And that type of engagement is pretty important, but also you have to really embrace the technology to reduce friction at your various customer touch points. So we know that consumers want to shop and buy from brands that make the entire shopping journey easy and seamless. That includes when things go wrong, when they need to change or resolve an issue with their order or to make a return. And here, automation technology can really help to streamline those experiences. Businesses can address those issues in a timely and efficient way. And what that does is it improves the overall experience. It gives customers that seamlessness and it keeps them coming back. And I think it kind of connects to, in my mind, one of the big takeaways or aha moments for me from the research is that there is such a desire among consumers to not just shop smaller, but also see the businesses they love succeed. In fact, 51% of Gen Z consumers in particular, to spotlight those folks, want small businesses to succeed, which I think is like a really big opportunity for those brands and those businesses. Like, I know we have so many small and emerging brands that listen to this show. We spotlight them, you know, through our site and like how they're thinking about growth. And Gen Z is a big target for them. So, I mean, how should they be thinking about this particular consumer group? And of course, all of the associated touch points that they use, because I feel like they're <laughs> they're a very interesting group because everyone tries to kind of pigeonhole them. But I feel like they're very diverse, multifaceted. And honestly, it's kind of hard to fully judge or paint that clear picture of the Gen Z consumer. But I mean, how would you recommend that they turn this desire that consumers have into like a clear opportunity and outcome for the business? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this one up, Alicia. This is actually, I think, really inspiring. The fact that 51% of Gen Z want small businesses to succeed. I mean, that's a vote of confidence from the folks that are coming into a larger share of wallet. So that's really, in my mind, a pretty strong tailwind for small businesses to look out for. And so getting into the depth of this, though, and painting with a too broad a brush, you're right that you can't necessarily lump everyone into one category. But what does Gen Z have in common? I think what really characterizes that generation is they grew up under this cloud of turmoil. There was a lot of change in the world, a lot of shifts. And so as a consequence, we know that it takes a lot to gain the trust of Gen Z. They don't automatically trust larger brands. We also know that younger generations are digital natives. They grew up using technology. 
and they're more comfortable online. So it's not surprising that a lot of their brand discovery is via social media. So for example, Gen Z is spending a huge chunk of time on one or more social platforms, and those include YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I think the exact order depends on whether it's Canada or US from our survey data, but ultimately maintaining a presence on these top social platforms is really key to reaching these digital natives, to reaching Gen Z. Yeah, and I think they're they're an interesting group because they have been so fully immersed in this world of social media, anything and all things digital. It's like they're faster to kind of snuff out what's not legit or like what's not authentic. And I think that's a really powerful call to arms for the brands that are listening to this, even from just like a marketing and communications perspective, right? Like they're going to be able to tell if you're just trying to get them to make a purchase. So that's where that authentic communication and that authentic engagement really comes into play because they do have so much access and they do know how to discover new brands through these channels. In fact, three in five consumers, and I think this is all consumers, not just Gen Z, but still an important point. These consumers acknowledge that with all of the technology, the tools, the platforms that are available, it's so easy to start a business today. And I think that has been an interesting point that I go back to just in my coverage of emerging brands, D2C brands that are thinking about growth, right? Because consumers want to discover these brands, but the market is so vast and getting more competitive. So on one hand, it's like, yeah, like you can do this easily. You can stand up a brand, but what about growth? What about momentum? I mean, how can brands, retailers, I mean, even restaurants, right, kind of build this momentum out? Like after they hit the ground running, so to speak, how can they continue that progress and grow and scale successfully, especially considering all of the uncertainty that we talked about at the top of our conversation? Yeah, that's a great call, Alicia. One of the things that happens as a consequence of tech and tools making it easier to start a business is more people have access to do that and and it becomes more crowded, which means you have to really strive to differentiate. So here I would say that the key is to try and find strategic and multifunctional partners to work with to support cost efficiencies. And really think of your partners as a solution for your business that understands your customer and elevates your brand through interesting storytelling. It's not enough to kind of be lost in a sea of sameness and same product assortment sold in the same ways as everybody else. And I think your partners are a strategic component of that. So together, this helps your business increase customer conversion, drive revenue, and these partners can really serve as marketing support to deliver qualified new customers. Yeah. And I think that the idea of partnership is an interesting one because, I mean, I've been covering retail for 12 years now. I'm kind of dating myself, but in the early stages of my career, a lot of it was around like, oh, there's a lot of competition. People are wary to share their learnings, share their failings, and even what they're thinking about for the future. But it has been such an evolution. Brands sharing with brands, big brands sharing with small brands and vice versa, but also solution providers and tech companies sharing with retailers and again, vice versa. So, I mean, how is Square kind of thinking about this world of partnership and how collaboration is taking place? And most of all, I mean, what's top of mind for the business from a solution standpoint? Like, how are you empowering these businesses to get on that path to growth? Yeah. So here I would say that it's a lot to deal with, like we've been covering, right? It's the face of inflationary pressure. There's other economic headwinds and uncertainty. And really, I think what Square is striving to offer is harmony, fully integrated ecosystem of tools. They're designed to work together on a single common platform. And so 
we're looking to enable sellers to operate with efficiency, helping them to keep their new and existing customers engaged, empower those new business streams where they want to diversify, and ultimately to do more with less, less effort and less time. And so earlier this year, we made artificial intelligence a fourth strategic priority for Square. And that's being added, by the way, to our priorities of enabling omni-channel for all sellers that want to be in multiple channels, supporting upmarket businesses that tend to be more complex, and offering our service globally beyond the U.S., which is where we got our start. So over the past few years, AI has become a part of many of our seller-facing products. This actually predates the most recent boom in generative AI. But now that Gen AI is here, we plan to integrate those capabilities across all of Square Tools, enabling sellers to compete with bigger corporations and really automate tasks to free up their time and headspace. Yeah, we've definitely been hearing a lot about generative AI. And I think that point around using it as an enabler or a source to enrich and empower your people, especially for these small businesses, right? It's pretty incredible to see what is possible from a use case standpoint. So is it safe to say that that's going to have a pretty long tail effect on the industry? Because right now, obviously, we're thinking Q4, we're thinking holiday. I mean, what else should we be thinking about? We meaning retailers, I guess, um, as we think about the strategic toolkit and even the tactics that should drive their holiday strategy. Yeah. Well, without a doubt, it is for sure the early innings for AI and generative AI. I think the the best is yet to come. And if anything, having received so much press really gives us a base of understanding, baseline understanding to capitalize on so that it's a little bit less foreign to sellers when we describe what we're doing. And ultimately, this is important because we want to roll this out in a way that really engenders trust. Square has our sellers back, and so too will any use of generative AI. But we think it's got the potential to really provide order of magnitude, 10x increases in ease of use, and likewise, 10x decreases in cost. So for example, you know, we know automated messaging tools have really been dominating the conversation around generative AI. But there's so many ways to leverage it, and it can automate both front of house responsibilities as well as back end operations. So just to give you an idea of some of the use cases that we've rolled out to our sellers currently, we have AI generated item descriptions in Square for Retail. So here we're helping sellers quickly write compelling product description and accelerate omnichannel sales. The tedium of having to write copy for large catalogs has been something that we've heard and ways to give time back and make it easier was what we were after here. And what we found is that since launching this, approximately three out of the four suggestions that we're making are saved without edits. So we're striking it pretty close to the mark, and that indicates uh, sellers are finding some value there. Likewise, moving over to the image domain, we have a Square Photo Studio app that we've upgraded with AI functionality. This allows sellers to swap out the background of product photos so they can display their items in front of many different locations or settings or situations. And you can imagine the power that this brings to really complement the aesthetic and the vibe that you're going for in your retail environment. We also have messages and announcements. AI is something that we recently rolled out in our team communication product. 
there we're reducing the amount of time it takes to craft a well-written announcement. So imagine being able to provide a set of key points to convey and then choose a few options, length and tone, and then you can further edit the finished product, but really cutting down the amount of time it takes to announce things to your team. And then lastly, I'll talk about suggested actions in our Square Messages product. So here, using a generative AI language model to predict the next thing a seller may want to do. It's it's there and available to you in a live conversation with a customer. So it might suggest to you, now's a great time to send a coupon or insert an invoice, or you might want to provide these photos of a product in response to what the customer is asking for. And so since launch, approximately 400,000 sellers have accepted and sent almost 900,000 suggested replies or actions. So this one to me is really indicative of the volume and the appetite uh, that sellers have for automation. And it is absolutely making a difference and saving them time. So just kind of to put a bow on all of this, I mean, it's really about the competition within retail being really intense. And that's not just competitors for selling the things you are. It's actually just competition for time. It takes a lot to run a business and to deal with all of this front office and back office work. And so finding tech solutions and partners that can help your business scale operations, preserving your identity and brand, and giving you time back to focus on the things you love to do, that's really the key to, to all of this. Yeah, I think that's a super powerful point to close out on because I know the big takeaway is that resources are scarce, time is scarce. So every moment that you have to invest in the business, regardless of its size, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur starting a business or whether you're part of a much larger organization, it's like every moment, every action needs to have a return on investment, so to speak. So any way you can use technology or collaborations, you know, partnerships to give you the power to focus on that really critical work that actually makes the tangible impact on the business and how it stands out to consumers is really critical. But Roshan, this has been so fantastic. It's always good to dig a little bit deeper into data, you know, not just, you know, what the facts are, but what the implications are for our community. So really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me today. Yeah, I'm happy for the opportunity, Alicia. Thanks for the chat. And to all of you, if you have any follow-up questions about the research or about how we can turn this data into something meaningful and actionable for your brand. We would love to keep the conversation going. Drop us a line on Twitter at our touch points or on LinkedIn at retail touch points or when in doubt, leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast player. We're always keeping an eye out on all of these different channels. That way we can bring the uh, Square team in for a follow-up conversation as needed. But we would love to hear from you, your thoughts on this episode, the conversation, and of course, just the show in general. And of course, we're always having these conversations around new data, new trends, and of course, new tech. So be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you get the latest and greatest delivered right to your device. Thanks again so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.